His grace does abound in deepest waters. Yes and amen. I love that word grace. When I read the Bible, that's all I see. It's the gospel of grace. And today we find ourselves in Psalm 51, David asking for the very same thing, begging for the very same thing, that his heart would be created anew, that his life would be renewed after the the big sin, the big uh, affair that he had with Bathsheba. Um, and I, I pray that to, while we hear today's message, that we would really hear and see that his grace does abound in deepest waters, that it's overflowing, that his grace is thick, that it's overwhelming, and it's bursting. So if you would follow with me and, um, as we read together, or as, as I read and you follow along, Psalm 51, 1 through 12. Church, this is the word of God. Have mercy. On me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, may the words of Pastor Norb and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you for your singing. I had to uh, step out just for a moment, and when I came back in, it was just like, whoa, there's a lot of people singing. And, uh, and that was great. A father and a son were riding in the truck together one day when the son asked the father, Dad, how high can you count? The father replied, well, I, I don't know, son. How high can you count? The son immediately replied, 1,542. The father said, well, why did you stop? The son just kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, the sermon was over. (laughs) So if you're looking for something to do for the next 25 or 30 minutes, ready? You can start now. Um, We are in the process or we are in a series of messages this summer that we've just simply been calling Making Best Choices. And throughout these summer months, we've covered off a number of different subjects and topics from celebrating each day to making the choice to pay attention to the soul 
to making best choices with our finances, to making best choices to move forward in our journey with Jesus. But recently, as I was thinking about this subject again, it struck me, what if we've already made bad choices? What then? How, how can we then make best choices after having already made bad choices? That's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a news and sports junkie. If you don't know that about me already, you do now. I think I'm getting a little bit better. Tina may think otherwise. You can ask her. But I do enjoy following sports. I'm a big Oilers fan, always have been way back to the glory days in the 80s and marching down Jasper Avenue doing ridiculously dumb things. Um, I enjoy watching NFL football. I've already managed to sneak a peek at some NFL preseason games. This week I got all excited because the banter in our fantasy football league started up and uh, getting ready for that. There just seems to be something about athletes and some of the choices they make, though. Like somebody that may not necessarily be a household name in in your home, he is kind of in ours because he plays for the Cleveland Browns, where Tina is from, Josh Gordon. Star wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns, uh, coming out of college, signed a a multi-million dollar contract, probably was set up to make many, many more millions in a contract extension that he probably would have received had he not last year been already suspended for two games for violating the league's substance abuse policy, which is code for drug use. And um, then uh, this year he's been suspended for the entire season because of more substance abuse violations. Um, He's appealing that. Not sure where that's going to go. But you would think that a guy who had literally the greatest opportunity in front of him would learn and not make such dumb choices. In fact, his career could likely be over if he sits out this entire season. Aaron Hernandez, another star football player, his promising career is over as he sits in prison, currently being held without bail following his indictment on not one, not two, but three murder charges. In 2012, he signed a five-year contract worth $40 million, including a $12.5 million signing bonus. And uh, the New England Patriots have already reclaimed some of that and are suing him for the rest. Talk about some bad choices. Well, this name may be a little bit more familiar. Lance Armstrong. Familiar with him? Right. More bad choices, right? Winner of... A record seven consecutive Tour de France bike races between 1999 and 2005 before he was disqualified from all of those races because, you guessed it, drug use, doping offenses, and he's been banned from cycling for the rest of his life. Bad choices. The list goes on, right? Tiger Woods, enough said. But what all of these athletes have in common is a series of bad choices that have all had huge personal consequences. And not just personally, but the impact on others and the families that they have impacted with their decisions as well. But you know that it's not just athletes who make bad decisions, right? 
Just stand in the checkout line at your local grocery market and look at the magazine covers and you'll very quickly realize that TV and movie celebrities do too. As do musicians and politicians. And even ordinary people like you and me. I had to chuckle when I saw this slide when I was doing a little bit of research. I, I, I shared that with Tina, and she was like, you're not actually going to say that, are you? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to put it up there and let them read it. They can personalize it if they want. I didn't say a thing. But have you made some bad choices lately? I have. Maybe we haven't given up a promising football career because of drugs. But maybe we participated in activities that were harmful to us and to others. We, we probably haven't killed anyone. But maybe we've wounded someone with our words. I doubt that we've cheated our way to the top. But maybe we have worn a mask and pretended to be someone that we're not. I suspect that we can all look back on our lives and point to events and actions and choices we've made that have impacted our lives negatively. We have all made bad choices at one time or another. So the question then is, now what? How do we right a ship that is keeling over? How do we stop living with the regrets of the past and start walking in joy and confidence into a new future? I have good news for us today. God has the ability to take our second best, the choices that we've made that have gotten us off on a wrong path, and redeem that and make it his first and best plan. Plan A may be a thing of the past, but plan B can serve God's purposes too. Let me explain. Now, I should say that one of the things that I discovered as I started to study this subject is that it is very broad. And even though we can probably all point to choices we have made in the past that haven't exactly been the wisest, there may be very few of us that have made some of the same bad choices. For some, this might be about marriage. For others, it may be about a bad financial decision. Or maybe we've taken a wrong career path. The specific application is probably unique to each of us. So what I want to ask you to do is just to listen, to take these general principles, and then ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your specific situation. What's great is that the Bible is full of real-life examples of real people who made bad choices, and others who have made good choices, and we can learn from both. Let me begin with just sharing an example of a good choice. The story of Joseph is well known. If we haven't read the account of Joseph beginning in Genesis chapter 37, perhaps we have seen or heard about the musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat by Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Joseph is probably most well known because of the ornate coat that his father Jacob had made for him and then gave to him. It's a fascinating historical account. If you haven't read it or haven't read it for a while, spend some time reading it and just seeing how this massively dysfunctional family 
um, recovers because of God's intervention and God's sovereignty and providence. It begins all the way from Genesis 37 to 50. Now, if you know the story of Joseph, you could probably make an argument that he made some bad choices as well. And I think you could probably win that argument. Uh, You know, going and giving his dad a bad report about his brothers to begin with was probably a bad start, kind of tattling on them. Uh, Maybe wearing the coat itself, you know, this symbol of his father's love and favoritism uh, wasn't such a good idea after all. Or worse yet, telling his brothers the dreams that he had, you know, that they were going to someday bow down to him. Well, that kind of would have added salt to the wound. Not exactly the best choices. But Joseph is probably best known for his good choices. Joseph was hated by his brothers for obvious reasons. Their hatred was such that they they actually plotted to kill him. And one of his brothers, Reuben, uh, he intervened and then suggested that, well, uh, let's let's not kill him, let's just throw him in a pit, which they then did. Uh, But it seems that Reuben was the only sensible one because his plan was actually to come back later and rescue Joseph and take him back to his father. But before he had a chance to do that, the the other brothers decided to sell Joseph, thinking that that was, like, way better than killing him. One of his brothers... Sorry, I already said that. Um, So let let me just fast forward a little bit. Joseph ends up in Egypt as a slave to Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. And I think you would agree this was a pretty traumatic change of events. It was a, a, a pretty horrible situation for Joseph. Now, partly because of some of his own choices, but mostly because of the unwise choice of his father to favor him, and then entirely because of the choices that his brothers made. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2, there's a little line that offers us so much hope. It just simply reads, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Just let that sink in for a little bit. The Lord was with Joseph. Even in the bottom of the pit that his brothers threw him in. In the caravan leading to Egypt with his new owners. And in Potiphar's house. God's presence... God's peace, God's power, there, present with Joseph in the midst of a miserable situation. Can we find some hope and encouragement in that? That no matter what choices we have made in life, no matter what choices others have made in life, no matter, no matter how those choices have impacted us, God is with us. God is with you. Single mom, bankrupt family, shunned brother, lonely woman, heartbroken widow or widower. I don't know your specific situation or what, you know, label you might wear. But I think you need to hear the wonder of this simple phrase. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. He's with you. And he is with all of us 
even when we've made bad choices, he is right there with you. He was with Joseph, and Joseph knew that. Because another well-known situation that Joseph found himself in was when the wife of his master, Potiphar's wife, took notice of this well-built and handsome man and ultimately made some strong sexual advances towards him. You see, there was nothing subtle about come to bed with me because that was her invitation. Now, it seems to me that with Joseph's history, he could have used his past as an excuse, a way to justify all that had gone wrong in his life so far. He could have just stopped there and said, you know, my life has been a complete disaster so far. Now, finally, something good is happening to me. This woman wants me. My brothers didn't want me, but she wants me real bad. And isn't that sometimes how people think? And that's the problem with bad choices, is that they often cycle and repeat. But they don't have to. And in this case, they didn't. Joseph resisted the advances of Potiphar's wife. He he knew what she was asking him to do was sin. And she didn't just come on once, but the Bible says day after day this went on. She was, if nothing else, extremely persistent. He clearly would have had the opportunity. He would have known that the opportunity was there for the taking. Well, one day he's in the house attending to his responsibilities, and no one else is in the house except, of course, Potiphar's wife. And this time, she grabbed him by his cloak. Now, I've often wondered about this story. Is How long did it take Joseph to decide to run? I mean, how strong was the temptation in that moment? I mean, it seemed like the circumstances were perfect, but he knew that it was wrong, so he made the choice to run for his life. (coughs) And if you know the historical record of these events, things didn't turn out so well then, did they? Because when he ran away, he left his cloak behind, Potiphar's wife holding it, So she came running out of the house only to falsely accuse him of trying to force himself on her. And he's thrown in prison. But guess what? The scripture says that even in prison, the Lord was with him. Again, the Lord was with him. Uh, Here's a very important principle for us to learn. And it's simply this. It's always right to do the right thing. It's always right to do the right thing. Joseph based his choices on a desire to honor God. His desire was not pleasure or happiness, but rather he chose to honor God with his lives, with his life. And sometimes when we do that, life doesn't always turn out the way that we would expect. And dreams are shattered. But even in the midst of misery, God is there. There's so much for us to take away from that and could go on and just see how God was with Joseph all through his life, even in prison, 
the scripture don't give an exact detail. It just says, you know, sometime later uh, he gets an opportunity. And then it clearly says two years later. So we know that he was for sure in prison, falsely accused for at least two years. Life wasn't great. And so sometimes when we make good choices, the circumstances don't always work out well for us. But God is there. How about an example of a bad choice from Scripture? As you think about this, any ideas come to mind? Can you think of any biblical characters that have made some really bad choices? This is kind of the interactive part of the sermon. It's your only chance to talk, so speak now or forever hold your peace. Anybody come to mind? Who? David? Saul? I mean, David, right? I mean, we'd all just nod our heads in agreement. That's the obvious one. And yes, that's exactly where I'm going to go. So stop talking and let me finish. Um, David and Bathsheba, another well-known account, right? We find all the sordid details in 2 Samuel 11. And in spite of many previous victories and great success as the king of Israel, in spite of clearly acknowledging that God had blessed him and was with him, one day David made a terrible choice. Well, it was actually kind of a series of really bad choices. The first was really that he chose to stay home and not go off to war as he should have as king. Now, maybe he had good reason, but he stayed back. And so one night, maybe he was having trouble sleeping, who knows, he got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. Maybe he was even praying. And in the midst of that, he looks across to another house and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he's captivated by her beauty. And so he sends someone to find out who she is. They come back. Her name is Bathsheba. And it's interesting how the scripture makes clear to say that she was a daughter and a wife. Now, he should have made a choice right there. Like Joseph, just run. Instead, he sends messengers to get her. He sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. Oops. (laughs) Unintended consequences, I'm sure. But now what? Think, David, think. After all, you're the king. You're a smart man. You can decide anything and make it happen. How can I make this go away? How can I cover this up? So he calls for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who is off with the Israelite army. He calls him in and questions him. And then in what he tries to present as this magnanimous gift, he says, you know, Uriah, why don't you go home? You know, take some time off and sleep with your wife. That's pretty quick thinking, David. Now, of course, Uriah, he doesn't do that because he thinks, how could he dishonor his role as a soldier? And David keeps working Uriah over. He feeds him. He gets him drunk one night so that maybe he won't be thinking of his fellow soldiers and finally go back and sleep with his wife. But that still doesn't work. And so David's final plan is to send Uriah to the front lines of the battle. And then he instructs his commander, Joab, to very quietly and quickly withdraw from the front lines without telling Uriah so that he will surely be killed. He murdered him. Now, he didn't, you know, do the act himself, but he may as well have. 
He certainly set up the circumstances because he knew what the end result would be. And he murdered him to cover up for an earlier bad choice. And isn't that the problem with bad choices? They usually just lead to more bad choices. Well, there's lots more to the story. And eventually Nathan goes and confronts David with the reality of his sin, adultery, murder. And eventually David gets it. And he understands. And he confesses. And just like in Joseph's history, there is so much more to David's story. And we could go on and on and look at more of the detail there. But we all have a story. We all have a history. And our journeys are marked with good choices and with bad. And sometimes our good choices don't always result in blessings, but our bad choices almost always result in painful consequences. Do we then live our lives with regrets? Do we live out the rest of our days as victims? In so many situations, once the choice is made, we can't undo it. So what do we do? Well, after making bad choices, how do we then start to make best choices again? Now, I should say that not all bad choices are sin. But often, even in choosing our own path, we have violated God's principles. God says, don't do this, or live your life this way, and, and we don't do it. He says, don't do this, and we do it anyway. It's a choice we make. And that, too, is a choice that we make, and often we're frustrated because of the consequences of the choice. Right? And we're dealing with that, and we hate the place that we find ourselves in. And oftentimes we turn around and we start to blame, blame God. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we truly step back and thought about what led us to that place, it may very well be that our misery is self-inflicted. Now, that's not an easy thing to say or accept, maybe, but there are so many choices, right, that we, we can't undone, undo. So what do we then do when we find ourselves, as we might say, in a pickle, okay? Let's look quickly at what David did, because I think it's very instructive for us. Psalm 51, the passage that Pastor Ed read for us earlier. This was a passage of Scripture that was written by David after the prophet Nathan had come to him and confronted him with the reality of his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah. So the first thing that I think we can learn from, Joseph, from David excuse me, is that we accept God's forgiveness. Accept God's forgiveness. Of course, implied in accepting forgiveness is actually asking for it. Listen to some of the words that David used. Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Does this sound like a man who is trying to justify his actions? Absolutely not, does it? Here is a man who is broken and contrite. He clearly acknowledges his sin. He goes on to write, 
For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And the Bible makes it clear that when we acknowledge our sin, confess it and ask for forgiveness, 1 John 1.9 says, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, we just have to accept that as truth and then accept the forgiveness that he offers us. I don't know what missteps you have taken in life. I don't know what you might describe as a bad choice that you've made. In some cases, maybe even most, but not all, the choice was, we made was in disobedience to God and to his word. So then the right and best choice to make is to ask for and receive God's forgiveness. Because otherwise we go through life weighed down with guilt and shame. And sometimes the energy you use to cover it up, it just drains us. Our past can't be changed. You, you can't undo it. You can't even cover it up. But it can be covered. Because that's what Jesus offers, forgiveness. And so you just say, okay, <laughs> I made a bad choice. I am where I am. And in the midst of this, I am going to ask for your forgiveness, God. For doing things my way. For not listening to you. For fill in the blanks. And accept his forgiveness. Because so often people find themselves in this situation and all they can keep thinking about is that bad decision they made back whenever. It was just a bad decision. It was wrong. I should have never done it. And we just keep fixated on that problem, on that decision, rather than stepping out and just accepting God's forgiveness. Along with forgiveness, we need to embrace God's grace. And I think because of the, sometimes the inability to embrace God's grace, we can't fully appreciate the forgiveness we've received. But that's what makes it grace, because God's love is free and unmerited. We can't work for it or earn it. God just freely extends it to his children. And so forgiveness is an act of his grace. He offers us a do-over, a fresh start. We can't undo that choice, but we can ask for forgiveness and then say, okay, God, moving forward, where do we go from here? David writes then in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. You see, that's a fresh start. Uh, hyssop, just to explain this for a second, was a plant that was used in the Old Testament cleansing ceremonies. And David knows that God's grace is greater than his sin and that his grace would cover him and cleanse him and the stains of his sin would be removed all because of God's grace. Now, have I ever told you that I enjoy golf? I'm not very good at it and I just don't golf a lot, which means I'm not very good at it. But golf is a wonderful example of grace. Because when you think about golf, just like life, each day is a fresh start. E each round is a new beginning. Each shot, another chance. 
In fact, I had a friend of mine who was a pretty good golfer. He says, you know, the difference between, you know, us hackers and professionals is they rarely have two bad shots in a row. Have you ever, did you guys watch golf? Or does it put you to sleep? You can be honest. I won't, I won't hurt you. Um, I was watching golf yesterday and it was, it was, there was a great shot and I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but, but, um, who is the guy? Jason Day, right? Tina was watching with me and, and just like over the creek and in the weeds and way off, right? Rolls up, takes off his shoes and socks, rolls up his pant legs so he can walk through the creek to get to the other side. His caddy does the same. They spend time looking for the ball. They finally find the ball And it was just a hysterical kind of shot because you rarely see somebody on the PGA Tour playing in shorts. In fact, they can't. It's it's not allowed. And and here he is with his pants rolled up, bare feet, hacking this ball out of the weeds. And I just saw myself in that so many times. But, But he made a wonderful recovery shot, put it on the green, and still got a par. Just the way it was supposed to be. But that's what they do. And... That's what's so wonderful about golf, right? You always get a second chance. Every shot lets you start all over. And you can mess up big time, oh well, and still par the hole. And then if you make a mess of an entire hole, guess what? It starts again on the next hole. And friends, that's what's so marvelous about grace, It's never too late for a new beginning. Perhaps the most amazing promise in the entire Bible is contained in these words in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That is a great promise. You see, that's the hope of the gospel. That is God's good news. Because no matter what a mess we've made of our lives, God can give us a new start. We can begin anew every day, any day, this day. And just think about this for a moment longer. Unlike a golf score, our previous bad scores don't remain part of our history. They're forgiven and forgotten. God tears up the old scorecard and offers us a chance to begin the round again. His grace pardons and cleanses. All we need to do is ask for his forgiveness and embrace his grace. And then lastly, we walk in his joy. We walk in his joy. Remember that David... um, is the man who wrote most of the Psalms. He was the man who declared that he longed for God like a deer longs for water. He had a good and close and vibrant relationship with God. He was, as the Bible describes him, a man after God's own heart. No doubt, when he was trying to cover up his sin, he was missing God. He knew what it was once like. He knew what that relationship once was. And now it wasn't that. Now because of his sin, he was feeling the weight of it, and it crushed him. 
And, and he wanted to experience the joy again. He wanted to have that joy back. And so when he asked for God's forgiveness, he adds this in verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Isn't there just something so real and honest about that? That he acknowledges the weight of his sin. It was crushing him. But let those bones rejoice. And then again he says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, in the aftermath of his sin and its consequences, his joy was back. He he didn't wallow in his sin and his loss, but because he dealt with his sin, he could enjoy the presence of God again, and that brings great joy. And please know this, because I didn't have time to go into all the detail, but David's desire for joy did not in any way minimize the wrongs that he had done and the hurt that he caused. Because if you go back and read, you know, the rest of the story, you will discover that his own personal pain was deep and lasting. And there were some significant consequences to his sin. In fact, the child that was born to Bathsheba died. But when you've been forgiven and you've been accepted and you know how much you are loved, you are filled with an almost unexplainable joy even in the midst of pain and distress. And because of that joy, like David, you want to sing and declare his praises. Let me read the rest of the psalm in closing. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, You who are my God, my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is this. Listen to these words. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Did you catch that? He moves from confessing his sin and asking for God's forgiveness. And he accepts God's forgiveness. And he embraces God's grace. And then he moves on the rest of his life, probably has made other mistakes, walks in joy, 
and sings and declares God's praises. You see, no matter what happened yesterday, tomorrow can be different. And with God's help, we can make the best of our bad choices. You see, there's always one right choice we can make, and that's simply to surrender our lives and everything we have to God. Let's pray. Father, these are, I hope, good words for us today. There's a lot of people that I know, but many that I don't know. And even the ones that I do know, I don't know all of the pain that they're carrying. I don't know all of the regrets that they might be living with, the missteps, the missed opportunities, the wrong turns that they've taken, the times their lives have hit the ditch. But Lord, the wonder of who you are is that you're able, because of your amazing grace, is to take our lives and our pain and our misery and redeem it. Make something good out of it. And so, Lord, I just pray that for each person here that might be thinking of a specific situation, I pray that they would absolutely and unconditionally know your forgiveness this morning. That they would accept your grace. And if there is anyone here this morning, Lord, who is not in Christ, that is, they have not cross the line of faith and put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I pray that you would present this as a wonderful opportunity to start fresh, to put their past behind them, and to move with joy into a new future that you have for them. So God, we just present our lives to you this morning, knowing that there are times when we do make bad choices, And we're asking for your help to help us make the best choices. In Jesus' name we pray.